Well, good morning, folks. Welcome to church. Let me add my welcome to Andrews. Uh, it's so good to have you with us. If you're visiting with us, an extremely warm welcome to you. You're our guests. We pray that God would encourage you and uh, meet with you. Let's pray. We're going to turn to the Bible. Let's ask God to speak to us. Father, thank you so much. You love every person in this room and you have a plan for their lives. God, we just pray for all the kids and all the youth and all the different age groups that are going off to have their time. We pray just now as they go off that they would have a really special time in your presence. But I pray, God, just now as we here in this room take some moments to turn to the Bible, I ask that you would speak to us in Jesus' great name. Thank you you're among us. Thank you you love us. Thank you you have a plan for every person's life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So there's a guy who came home from his work one day, and uh, he, he, in, there in his back garden was his dog with a dead rabbit in his mouth. It was his neighbor's rabbit. And he freaks out, thinking, oh no, my neighbor's going to hate me. My, my dog's killed his pet rabbit. And so uh, he, he, quick, quick thinking, he, uh, he takes the rabbit from the dog's mouth. He goes inside, fills a bath. And he puts the, dunks the dead rabbit in the bath, gets some shampoo, gives it a good clean-up, takes it into the bedroom, gets the hair dry, blow-dries the dead rabbit. It's looking all fluffy now. And then he, the neighbor hasn't come home from work yet, so the neighbor, he sneaks across into the neighbor's back garden, opens the hutch, and places the rabbit back in the hutch. And he tiptoes back across, thinking, okay, he'll probably think it just died of natural causes. <laughs> this rabbit is all blow-dried. Anyway, later on that evening, he's... He's in his back garden, and there's his neighbor Fred appears across the fence. Hey, how you doing, Fred? How's it going? Uh, yeah, fine, but apart from a rabbit. Did you hear that a rabbit died? Uh, no, no. Yeah, a rabbit died two days ago, and we buried it. The weird thing is that someone dug up our rabbit, washed it, and blow-dried it, and then put it back in his hutch. What kind of weirdos are out there? <laughs> okay. We like taking things that are actually dead, they've gone, they've died and buried, and making them look like they're alive. We do that in lots of things. We do that in marriage. We do that in business. We pretend everything's fine when it's really not. And we can do it in church. Jesus, in the book of Revelation chapter 3, addresses a church where they're doing just that thing. They're pretending to be alive, but Jesus says they're dead. Revelation chapter 3 Verse 1, to the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds. You have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Turn to your neighbor and say, wake up. Come on. Okay, you can tell them later in the service, do it again. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found you, for I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief, and you will not know at what time I come to you. And yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. And the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out their name of that person from the book of life. But I will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. 
Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow, strong words from Jesus to a church. In fact, this is the, there are seven churches Jesus addresses in Revelation 2 and 3, and this is the only church where Jesus doesn't say something positive about them. It's just all, it's a negative, it's a challenge. So let's go through the verses. Verse 1, Jesus says, I know your deeds, that you have a reputation. Say reputation. You have a reputation that you are alive, but actually you're dead. Okay? In 17 AD, there was a devastating earthquake hit that whole region. And Sardis, among many places, Sardis was impacted and many, much of the city was destroyed in the earthquake. So the Roman Empire, under which the, the empire that ruled the land at the time, gave them exemption so that they could be freed from taxes so that they could have more money to rebuild their devastated city. Now, with that money came great affluence. The city grew richer and richer and more and more comfortable and more and more contented and more and more licentious and more and more lazy. That the problem was the church in the city became like the city. The church became more and more apathetic, more and more dulled, more and more lazy. And it's so dangerous that the, the environment around us starts to, start, almost by osmosis, starts to affect the environment in our soul. And that's exactly what took place in this church. The church started to represent the city. Jesus says, you have a reputation. That means it was a well-known church. It was a well-known church, but it was living in reputation rather than in reality. It, in other words, it had done some good stuff in the past, but it wasn't living in a current aliveness. People were still impressed. Jesus wasn't. You know, apparently the polar star is 323 light years away. That means when you look at the polar star, the light that you're seeing from the polar star actually started shining 325 years ago. It actually could have died 300 years ago and it would still look like it's fine. In fact, give it another 23 years and it would disappear. Living in the past reputation. It might be that you, your church, your marriage, the thing you're doing has actually peaked, it's lost its edge, and yet it still looks like it's vibrant. And actually for a long time in Scotland, that's been exactly the situation. In Scotland for such a long time, in fact many of you here from various parts of Africa, and you, you heard about Scotland, and for, for many of you is, oh wow, I'm going to go to Scotland, it's such an amazing Christian country. You were so excited about coming, until you arrived and you thought, Ah, oh, where's Christianity gone? Because it lived, it, we, we were living for so long in a reputation of the Mary Slessers and the great missionaries and the great leaders who made such an impact in a previous generation. But today, it's not there anymore. In fact, last Easter, an article was published by the Herald, Christianity is in crisis in Scotland. And they reported that since 2002, a third of the church attendance from the church in Scotland has disappeared. On average, 10 churches a month are just ceasing to exist in this very small nation, Scotland. So it's, it's tragic. It is possible for people to die in their faith. It's possible for churches to die. Now, the crazy thing is, dead church, that's an oxymoron. An oxymoron is when you put two words together which are opposite in order to make a point. For example, bitter sweet. You know, uh, jumbo shrimp. 
amazingly awful, deafening silence. Microsoft works. Okay, so. Rap music. Okay, yeah, you know what I'm saying? So he put two things together, which actually just, oh no, it doesn't hang together to make a point. But dead church, that's an oxymoron. It should, dead church, how can they hang together? We're, we're believing in a, in a savior who rose from the dead, conquered death. We came alive by believing in Jesus. How is it possible for a bunch of people who believe in the risen one to die? And yet apparently is. Jesus challenging the church. They were spiritual zombies. And they didn't even know it. They'd lost their life. They were living a lie. They honored him with their lips, but their hearts were far from him. Matthew 15, 8. They sing songs about Jesus, but they don't worship in spirit and in truth. John 4. They have a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. And it's so possible for people who call themselves believers to lose that edge, to lose that spark, to cease to be all that God called them to be. And this is what Jesus was challenging in this. Let's go on in the verses. How is it possible to tell, see if something's died? How, how is it possible to tell that something's died? Verse 2, Jesus said, I found your deeds unfinished in the sight of my God. Your deeds are unfinished. Um, years ago when we got our first house, um, I always wanted in the back garden a little tree like dad had in his back garden. Dad had a, a beautiful Japanese maple tree. And this time of year, autumn, uh, it, the leaves turn this incredible, bright, vibrant, bright red. And I, I always loved that tree. And so I wanted a tree like that, just in my, like that just in my garden. So I went to my dad's house. And I'm not a gardener, so I didn't have a clue what I was doing. But I just said, do you mind if I get a cutting of your tree, Dad? I said, yeah, fine. So I, I bought this trendy white pot from Ikea and put some muck in it and... And I, at Dad's house, I broke off a branch from this tree. And I brought it home, and I shoved the branch in the mud in this trendy white pot in my back garden. And I thought, fantastic. I mean, how hard can this gardening thing be? And it looked fantastic. It looked great for about three days. <laughs> and then autumn came really early. All the leaves fell off. And basically, I was left for several months with a twig in mud in a trendy white <laughs> Ikea pot in my back garden. Okay, I... I didn't know that it needed to have a root. I didn't know about grafting or, okay. I just cut it, I cut it off its source of life. I cut off the source of its life. It's like cut flowers. They look impressive for a few days, but literally the source of their life is being cut off. And it's possible for Jesus saying to this church, I've not found your, de- your deeds are unfinished or incomplete in the sight of my God. There's something, there's a lack of fruitfulness and it comes from a lack of rootedness. Are you still connected to the root? Are you still connected in that close relationship with God? Jesus said in John 15, no branch can bear fruit of itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The source of your fruitfulness comes from your relationship with God behind the scenes. The fruitfulness you display on the outside comes from the relationship you have with God on the inside. Cut off that relationship, you cut off all sources of fruitfulness in your life. Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, did this charity auction where he was auctioning the opportunity to have one hour of coffee with Tim Cook. And so he had this charity auction. The the bidding started at $5,000 
and the bidding, 52 bids later, it went all the way up to $210,000. And someone got the opportunity for $210,000, what a bargain, for $210,000 to have a one-hour coffee break with Tim Cook. That's a very expensive coffee, okay? $210,000 to have time with Tim Cook. You know, the amazing thing about God is God doesn't charge a penny to have a relationship with him. In fact, God himself paid the price to make relationship with him possible. God, at his own expense, paid the price for you and I to have a living, life-giving, fruit-producing relationship with God Almighty. You can have a relationship with the creator of the universe. And if you don't have that relationship, you're cut off from the very source of life, even though you look alive. God is the source of all things. And through Jesus Christ, you can have that source of life. Now, just, just let me throw out there, you might be connecting today or here today and not in that relationship with Jesus Christ. The amazing news is God is here and he loves you. And today he draws you into that relationship. He invites you. He's he, you're here by purpose. You're connecting because of purpose. And God invites you today to come into that relationship. He has paid the price to make it possible for you to know him. Jesus saying, your deeds are not, they're unfinished in the sight of my God. Verse three, bring me down just a wee touch, guys. I'm booming a wee bit. Verse three, but if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what time I will come to you. I'm gonna come like a thief if you don't wake up. Now, when Jesus said that, the people living in Sardis getting this letter from the Lord, it would have just, it would have hit them so hard because historically, this exact thing happened to their city. On two occasions, the city of Sardis was defeated by armies creeping in like a thief. Now, the city of Sardis, or the Acropolis of Sardis, Acropolis means summit city. Uh, the Acropolis of Sardis is right up on the, the heights of an incredibly high mountaintop, 450 meters above the valley below. And the, 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 literal, the, the citadel of Sardis, literally, it's surrounded by three steep slopes, and there's only one small winding route, tortuous route, to get to the entrance of the city of Sardis. In other words, a very small army could defend the entire city. And because of that, the people living in the city believed that it was completely impenetrable. And for, so for years, they lived in peace and in total comfort. But on two occasions... The city was destroyed. The first time it happened, it was in 549 BC when Cyrus, the Persian ruler, had driven the population to the gates of their city. And now he was trying to attack the city, but he couldn't find a way in. He spent two weeks circling the city, trying to figure out how do you get into this impenetrable summit city. And so he, he, he was totally uh, without any ideas. And one of his soldiers, Hyrodades, he sat for a day. He sat for a day staring, staring at the city and trying to figure out how do we get into the city? And as he stood staring at the city, there was a, there was a soldier, a guard on the, one of the ramparts who dropped his helmet and the helmet dropped and, and tumbled down the cliffside. He didn't think anyone was looking. So when he thought no one was looking, he came down from the ramparts and down a, a, a small secret path, which could only been seen from above. And he came down the secret path, got the helmet, and then started making his all the way back up into the summit city. And Herodes memorized the path. And he went to Cyrus and said, tonight we're going to take the city. 
like a thief in the night. And that night, with a small band of men, Hyrodes led and a small army up that hillside, up that secret path. And literally, when they arrived at the city, it was totally unguarded. It was unguarded because the population of Sardis believed that it was impenetrable. They were comfortable. They were asleep. They didn't even post the guard. And as a result, their city was taken like a thief in the night. Ironically, the exact same sequence of events happened 200 years later when the Greek armies advanced against Sardis. And in the exact same sequence of events, they also took the city like a thief in the night. Isn't it incredible that this is the city that was taken like a thief in the night? Now, Jesus is saying to this church, church, you no longer have a guard on your wall. You've let your guard down. You've become like your city. And so, do you know what? Some of you guys, you, you, you call yourself Christian, but you've, you've cut off from the root. You're no longer resembling Jesus. You're resembling the world around you. You're just blending. You just, you just become like everyone else. You've picked up all the philosophies. You've let your guard down. Sure, you call yourself a Christian, but you're living in past reputation. You're no longer current with God's. And as a result, you're in dreadful predicament. And Jesus is saying, I'm going to come like a thief in the night because of your complacency. Apparently, there's a story of a, a British soldier, and he was guarding one of the royal residences down in London. And he was in one of those little you know, guard boxes, and he was getting really drowsy. And eventually, he can't keep his eyes open any longer, and he, he, he drips off like this, falls asleep in, in his box. And he opens his eyes, and to his shock horror, there in front of him is his commanding officer. And he's like, oh. And then, in very quick presence of mind, he, he thinks really quick, and then he closes his eyes again and says, Amen. And opens his eyes. And the commanding officer says, Very good, young man. Well done. Keep going. Keep going. And moves on. <laughs> but it's possible to fall asleep. You just, you're resting on your laurels, you've let your guard down. Jesus said, well, speaking about Jesus' return in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, For you know that the, very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night, while people are saying peace and safety. Destruction will come on them suddenly, as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you, brothers and sisters, are not in darkness, so this day would surprise you like a thief. You're all children of the light and children of the day. You belong to the, you do, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. Jesus describes his coming like a thief in the night. Now, Jesus didn't return in the first century. We know that. We're 2,000 years on. Jesus still hasn't returned. But his ultimate return will be like a thief in the night. A lot of people won't expect it. But Jesus, according to these verses, is very, very clear. His return for people who are believers, it will not be like a thief. It will not come as a surprise because we're children of the light. We're not living in darkness. We're not living in ignorance. The return of Jesus will not come as a surprise to us. There'll be, I don't know, there'll be something in the air. There'll be a sense. There'll be an imminence, an impendingness, a sense of anticipation and excitement among believers because we're children of the light. But people who are dead and who are asleep, it's going to suddenly take them. But nevertheless, while Jesus didn't return in the first century, the reality is that Jesus comes to people like a thief in the night or to organizations like a thief in the night. Down through every generation, it's been that way. My, my uncle Ron, he wasn't a real uncle. He was actually just a very close family friend. He used to work with my dad. My uncle Ron was an atheist. And, and he would often debate me with, uh, and talk about how he was right and I was wrong. And we'd have this debate. But he would often say to me, okay, Peter, listen, I'll, let, I'll give you this. Ten seconds before I die, I'll become a Christian. And tragically, he didn't. 
The two weeks leading up to his death, he was in a coma, totally out of it. Never became a Christian. And some people are living in that way. I just, I just want to, I'm going to live this way. And, you know, just before I die, then I'll wake up. I'll, I'll make that connection with God. But you don't know when that day will be. In fact, that day, Jesus says, will come like a thief. No one expects it. So here's the deal. Live like today's your last. Literally live like today could be your last. Wake up and live this day as if, God, if you were just to come right now, I'm actually okay. I'm okay. I know you. I'm doing your will. I'm in your purpose. Don't live like you're going to live forever on this earth. You're not. It, for each one of us, it's going to be a different duration. 100 years from now, none of us are going to be here. Or 120 years from now, none of us are going to be here. And it will all have happened at different times and different ways. And, and for some of us, we will not have expected it. But just live today like today's your last. And that's actually a really great way to live. It will actually maximize every moment. It will make everything important. And so Jesus has got this church and it's dying. And, he, and it's like he's rushing it into accident and emergency. Rushing it in and getting in. He's, he's got the defibrillators and he's about to light up this church. And he's shouting all the commands to his workers. Okay, do this, do this. Let's resurrect this church. And so here's, here's now the commands that Jesus shouts to this church to see this church resurrected and alive again. He says in verse 2, wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and about to die. So a couple of weeks ago, I went to this training event. And we were it was a guy coaching church leaders on various things to do with church growth. And he drew on, on the whiteboard this very helpful diagram. And this diagram very simply represents probably a person's life. It could represent an organization. could represent a business. could represent a church. And he drew this curve. And the curve starts... And it represents how at the beginning of an organization, uh, there's growth. And then it gets into a season where the organization's thriving. And then it gets into a season where the organization is plateaued and now starting to decline. And then eventually, it gets into a situation where it's dying. Now, and then he drew a, a cross in the middle of that curve. A cross. So, and the question was, what corner of, what quarter are you in? Are you in the growing stage? Are you in the thriving stage are you in the declining stage or are you in the dying stage? And he says, okay, so small group leaders, place your small group in one of those quarters. Where is your small group? Church leaders, where is your church? Uh, believers, where is your faith? Oh, I remember those days when I was thriving in my faith, but that's not where I'm at now. Where is your faith? Figure out where in, that, in those quarters, which one is your faith? Good point to reflect on. Then he, then he talked about how actually, no matter what stage you're at in this curve, there can come a aha a moment, a, like a, a, an epiphany moment, where you get an instruction from God. And then all of a sudden, you can do something which enables you to see a change of trajectory. Something happens, a moment happens, where you wake up, strengthen what remains and about to die. You suddenly have a recalibration, as it were, before God. God gives you his divine idea, his divine wake-up call, and then all of a sudden, boom, a new season of momentum kicks in, and you go back into the growing and thriving season of your life. Now, that, that, that can happen in any situation. That could be your marriage. It used to be growing. You remember those days? Oh, man, I, we, it was like honeymoon. So exciting. Wow, we're on honeymoon, and you're growing, and then you're thriving, and then you, you know, yeah. And I want to tell you good news. God can resurrect 
dead people. Yay. God can resurrect dead marriages. Nudge your wife and say, God can resurrect. No, don't. Okay. God can resurrect dead marriages. God can resurrect dead churches. God can resurrect dead organizations. God can resurrect dead small groups, dead ministries. God can resurrect things. Say amen if you agree. God can resurrect. God's the God of the resurrection. I don't know, you, you might be in a situation where you think, man, do you know what? My life is far gone. I'm, in the, I'm way below the dying season. Good news. God can resurrect you. Some of you are addicted and you think you're at the rock bottom and there's no way forward. I have good news for you today. There's always a way forward. God can resurrect. He's a master at resurrection. So how do you get that resurrection? Well, there needs to come that uh, aha moment, that moment where all of a sudden the trajectory changes. It says in James chapter 1, verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. So you need that aha moment. You're in this, you've peaked and you're declining. You say, well, God, what do I do? Well, that's the right question. And he's the right one to ask. God, give me wisdom. And he'll give you, he will. He doesn't find fault. He will, he, will, he will meet you where you're at. And he will tell you the wisdom to break the negative trajectory. My friends who were part of this church for so many years uh, in the early days, uh, South African family, they are, they're now in, in Belgium, but they, they told me about their marriage. And in the early days, their marriage had been going great. But behind the scenes, the husband had business dealings, which resulted in him taking out many huge personal financial loans, and he did not disclose them to his wife. And so he amassed this massive amount of debt. And actually, he wasn't able, unfortunately, the business didn't, uh, wasn't sustainable. He wasn't able to sustain the debt. And so he had this huge amount of debt. And, and he was in a bad situation. Eventually, it all came out, as, as things do. Things, everything comes to light, folks. Everything does. It all came out, and it devastated the marriage, and they had to separate. So there's him. He's now living by himself while his wife and kids are somewhere else, and he's heartbroken. But in that moment, he asked, God, give me wisdom. And God gave him the opportunity to have two jobs. So he worked two jobs. He worked every hour that God sent. He earned so much dosh, cleared all the debt, and in a year and a half, Having cleared the debt, they reconciled. Today, they're doing brilliant. So I don't care where you're at, how far down you think you've gone, God can give you a moment, an aha moment, where all of a sudden the trajectory changes. God can resurrect dead situations, dead marriages, dead lives, dead churches, and that's the good news for you. And Jesus goes on and said in verse 3, Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Say that with me. Received and see, when I say, say that with me, that usually means that, well, you say it with me. Okay, so let's try again. So say that with me. Let's try this. Remember, therefore, what you have re- received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. Jesus is saying to this church, you need to remember what you received. Do you know, folks, you don't get saved based on what you do. You get saved based on what you receive. Something was done for you that you received. You've got to remember what you received and heard. So I remember when I was 15, I received and heard something. I heard about Jesus. heard how he died for me in that cross. And I didn't just hear about it. A lot of people have heard about it, but it doesn't change their life. I didn't just hear about it. I engaged with it. I placed my trust in the one place my trust in Jesus. 
And so at that moment, I received some. I received forgiveness. I received a new life. I received and heard something. And you did too. Many of you here are believers. Some of you aren't yet. And I pray today, today, as you're hearing, you will receive something. You won't just leave here having heard some stuff, all right, and unchanged. I want you to be eternally changed in this moment. In this moment, I want you, you to have a miracle of a resurrection on the inside where you receive and hear something. God meets with you. So you've got to remember what you received and heard. Uh, Brennan Manning tells a story of his friend Ray. He and his friend Ray grew up in Brooklyn area, and they, they grew up and did everything together. When they were old enough to drive they clubbed their money together and bought a car together. And then eventually they went, when, when they were dating, they, they went double dating together. You know, he with his girl, he with his girl. And they, and they went on a double date. And then they went to school together. And eventually they enrolled for the military together. And then they were posted together on the front lines of the battle in World War II in Europe. And they found themselves together in a foxhole on the, on the battlefield of Europe. And that evening, as they're in that foxhole, and Brennan Manning's kind of recollecting the past of them growing up, and you know how things were when they were younger, and all of a sudden, his friend Ray was having this chocolate bar, all of a sudden, into the foxhole came this live grenade, and Ray smiled at Brennan, placed the chocolate bar down, and jumped on the grenade, exploding. He saved Brennan's life, and in doing so, he sacrificed himself to save his friend. An incredible, incredible act of love and sacrifice. Years later, Brenning, having gone through a lot of things, went to visit Ray's mother in Brooklyn. And they had an evening together. And in that evening, he said to her, do you think Ray really loved me? And his mum got off her seat and pointed her finger in Brennan's face and said, what more does he need to do to show that he loves you? And in that moment, Brenning, it's like he had an epiphany. He suddenly realized, he imagined himself at the foot of the cross asking Mary, do you think Jesus really loves me? And Mary pointing at Jesus on the cross and saying, what more does he need to do? What more does he need to do? And so you might be all insecure about God loving you. You just need to realize there is a cross. There is a price being paid for you that no one else, no one else has paid this price for you, let alone God. God paid a price for you. The creator of the universe, who the heavens cannot even contain, paid a price for you personally. Yes, you personally. You mean that much to God. Remember what you have received and heard. See, when you, re- when you remember the price that was paid for you, you remember you're loved. When you remember that, you don't die. It co- in fact, it causes you to be that fruitful person, bearing the fruit that you were born to bear. When you live in the memory of what Jesus did for you in the cross and in the resurrection and how that alone becomes your foundation as you believe in him. All of a sudden, everything you do, all your fruitfulness, everything comes out of that. It'll stop you from dying. It stops you plateauing, keeps you alive. Folks, every day when I wake up, honestly, I love the basics of Christianity. Before I jump into the complexities, I love the basics. Jesus Christ, who is God, died for me on a cross. Every day, I wake up pretty thrilled about that. Even though I've got challenges in life, I'm so thrilled I'm loved by God. I am loved by God. I'm forgiven for all my sin. Man, I'm no longer going to hell. I'm going to heaven. More than that, I have a relationship with God. That's brilliant. You can have it too. Most of you do. You can have this relationship with God. I never get over it. Remember what you've received and heard. It'll stop you from plateauing. It says in 1 Peter, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5. 
Make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to add to your goodness knowledge, and to your knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. In other words, don't just be static. Keep growing in your character. Keep growing in your qualities. Just keep growing. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. In other words, if you stop growing, if you've plateaued, if you've stopped developing in your character, and you stop becoming all that God wants you to be, it's a good sign that you've probably forgotten that all your sins were paid for. It's probably a good, if, you, if you've just plateaued and you've kind of, you settled, it's a, probably a good sign that you've kind of, you have forgotten the scale of what God has done for you. If you're just resting on your laurels and you've let your guard down and you've just got very comfortable, just like the comfortable society around you, it's probably a good sign that you've forgotten the biggest thing. You were lost, now you're saved. The guy who wrote Amazing Grace, John Newton, incredible song, famous around the world, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sounds that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, I am now found. I was blind, but now I see. John Newton, he actually spent half of his life as an African slave trader. He was a brutal, murderous individual. He, he, he had caused the death of so many people from that continent. He treated them like animals. And then in, around about 40 years old, he came to faith in Jesus Christ and he got forgiven for all his sins. He spent the second half of his life following Jesus and actually became a pastor. Just before he died, age 82, he was standing up preaching in his church and he said to his church, he said this, he says, my memory is nearly gone, but I remember two things. Number one, I'm a great sinner. And number two, that Christ is a great savior. Jesus is saying to a church that's nearly died, it's living, resting on its laurels, it's living in its reputation. He's saying, wake up, remember what you've received and heard. Remember what you've received and heard. And he says, hold it fast. Hold it fast. Remember you're a great sinner, but he's a great savior. He's paid the price for all your sin. Never forget that. Never get over that. Be blown away every day by that. Live in that amazing grace. Hold it fast. Let it become the very foundation of your existence, the foundation of your praying, the foundation of your doing. Otherwise, you become a legalist. Otherwise, you start doing things to prove something. You don't have to do anything to prove anything. You're accepted unconditionally. Live out of that place of acceptance. Live out of that price that was paid. Hold it fast. Stops you from dying. Say amen if you agree. Verse 5, the one who is victorious, I will like them, will, will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my father and his angels. In the ancient days, the ancient kings would keep a record of all the citizens who were born in their jurisdiction. And the, all the names of the citizens who were born in their kingdoms would be recorded in a book. The only way your name would be re removed from the book was if you, if you committed some felony, you rebelled against the king, or if you died, or if you moved away from 
the realm, the kingdom, and you relocated somewhere else. Otherwise, your name stayed in the book. God, the ultimate king, has a book. As you believe in Jesus, you trust in Jesus to be your savior, your name is in the book of life. There's a kind of debate going on, and it has for a long time, as to whether or not can you have been saved and then be unsaved? Can you lose your salvation? I'm, I'm pretty clear on that one. But there's some really good theologians who are clear on the other side of that. I believe you can't lose your salvation. There's some uh, great theologians who equally believe, sincerely believe, and with great reason believe that you can lose your salvation. Personally, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. Because here's the thing, right? I think, you know, to say, well, did, well, let me ask you, did you find God or did God find you? Speak to me. Okay, yeah, I know you found God. All right, I found God. But really, the bigger, the bigger reality is that God found you, yeah? God found you. So if the bigger reality is God found you, here's the question. Instead of can you lose your salvation, the bigger question is can God lose you? It's like God found you. Can he, can he lose you? Well, I know I, know I had him somewhere. Where's, where did I put him? Now, listen, I get it. If, if your salvation was dependent on you, you have every right to be nervous. I get it. But if your salvation is based on a God who saved you, then it's a bit more stable, okay? It's a bit more unchangeable. I didn't save me. He saved me. So, listen, I don't believe you can lose your salvation. Many people believe you can but forget the debate. Just walk with them. Forget the debate. I don't, we'll, we'll, when we arrive in heaven, we'll find out whether we're right or wrong. All I know is this. Some people who looked like they were saved in the end weren't. And I, all I'm saying to you is that just walk with them. Forget the debate. Just walk with them. Have a vibrant relationship with them. Stop getting all worried about the debate. Just focus on your relationship with them. Be alive in him. Remember what you've received and heard. Every day live grateful in that. Hold it fast. Walk with God and bear fruit as a result. So what happened in Sardis? Did they get it? So Jesus is writing to this church. He said, you've got great reputation, but you're dead. So my question is, well, did they get it? Did they hear the message? Did they change? Did they come alive? Or did that church just die? Okay, I can't answer that fully, but let me give you some glimmer of hope, okay? Decades after this moment, the church was still there and thriving. In fact, they had a pastor called uh, Melito. Melito was the first guy to ever write a biblical commentary on the book of Revelation. And this guy was just on fire. You can read some of his stuff. It's brilliant. In fact, let me read you. Let me read you in closing an excerpt from his preach from, it was an Easter Sunday service. This is him preaching about Jesus. Let me just read you an excerpt from this preach. It's so powerful. This is what he says about Jesus. He who flung the earth in place is hanged. He who fixes the heavens in place is fixed in place. He who made all things fast is made fast on a tree. The sovereign is insulted. God is murdered. The king of Israel is destroyed by an Israelite hands. This is the one who made the heavens and the earth, who formed mankind from the beginning, the one who is proclaimed by the law and the prophets, the one enfleshed in a virgin, the one hanged on a tree, the one bruised in the earth. 
the one buried, the one raised from the dead, the one who went up to the heights of heaven, the one who's sitting at the right hand of the Father, the one who has authority to judge and to save, through whom the Father has made all things that exist from the beginning of time. This one is the Alpha and the Omega. This one is the beginning and the end. The beginning is indescribable. The end is incomprehensible. This one is the Christ. This one is the King. This one is Jesus. He is our leader. This one is the Lord. This one is the one who rose from the dead. This one is the one seating at the right hand of the Father. To him be glory and honor forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus Christ, risen, living Jesus. God, you are the source of all life. And when we're connected alive with you, we're alive. When we're connected with you, we're alive. When we're disconnected from you, life starts dying. Organizations start dying. Churches start dying. God, I pray, Father, for people here today, God, who are, to be honest, they've peaked. They're no longer with you like they used to be. They're no longer vibrant. They've forgotten what they've received and heard. They're living on past reputation rather than on current reality. I pray today, God, by the power of God, cause them to wake up. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. So church, in his presence, pray your prayers. Make your response. He's here just now. If you sense, do you know what? I think I'm dying. God's here. He isn't saying this so you feel bad. He's saying this so you can be resurrected. That's the good news. Maybe you're in a marriage that's dying. God is saying there is hope. This marriage can be resurrected. Maybe your relationship with God is dying, to be honest. And it has been for a long time. You're still going through the motions. But you and God are no longer close. So in his presence, just reconnect. Reconnect. Reach out. Open your heart to him afresh. Remember what you've received and heard. Hold it fast. While people are praying, I want to give you an opportunity today, if you're here and you don't yet know God, you and God are not in relationship, but you want to be in relationship with God. God is here. And today he draws you to himself. If you're that person today, you're saying, Peter, I want God in my life. Today, I want this relationship with God. Then very simply, I invite you to pray this prayer with me just now. Under your breath, repeat after me. Dear Lord God, thank you for your amazing love for me. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross so that my sins could be forgiven, so that I could have a new life. Thank you for rising again on the third day. And thank you for being alive right now. Today I place my trust in you. Be my savior. Today I make a choice. I'm going to follow you now. Jesus, would you be Lord of my life from this day forward? 
Thank you so much for hearing my prayer and accepting me today as your child. Just keep your eyes closed. If you're here today and you prayed that prayer and you made that response to God, I want to pray for you wherever you are. In order to know who I'm praying for, could you simply identify yourself just by raising your hand? Say, that's me today. Today, that's the decision I'm making. Just wherever you are, in the main hall or in the cafe. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Is there anyone else? Just put your hand up nice and clear so I can see you. You're here today. Thank you. Is there anyone else? Just raise your hand and say, that's me today. I, today I choose to follow Jesus. Thank you. Anyone else? God, I thank you so much for these precious individuals who today, thank you. Today, they've just made the greatest decision of their life. These four people, Lord, today who have in their hearts have just prayed and trusted Jesus. Thank you. The Bible says when someone does that, sins are forgiven they're accepted they become part of God's family and today they've been heard God has accepted them sins are forgiven they're now heaven bounds they're now a child of God I pray right now God let them know the joy and the assurance of God's acceptance let them know your love let them this be this be a beginning of a great life with God in Jesus name amen amen oh wow you folks who prayed that prayer before you go